Summit Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, that song that played me in is entitled Carpet Creeps by Thor and Friends, and it is from the album The Subversive Nature of Kindness, which is a great title, and and that means my guest today is Thor Harris, who is a kind person and a great person, and I really, really greatly enjoyed this conversation. We kind of had similar lives in a way, similar aspects of our lives so i it was made it uh, i don't know made it interesting for me maybe it'll be interesting for you i don't know um thor harris is great by the way uh, all things thor are in the show notes you can buy his music is incredible absolutely incredible and uh, i was listening to th- that song and that album today as i went on a walk with my dog i go on long walks every day that's when i do the bulk of my music listening but I was having, I was not feeling great. The mental health was not great. Thor and his music helped me feel great, helped me feel better, definitely less anxious. So please explore the wonderful world of his music. It is in the show notes. Um, Thor, I would say, is kind of, a. I would say Thor is a legend of the music scene. He's become one of these people that is constantly mentioned on my podcast. There are people who's there. There are a few people who are constantly mentioned on the podcast. Um, Dan Aide, who's been a guest. Wayne Kramer, who's been a guest. Steve Albini, who hasn't been a guest. Uh, Thor has started to become. Oh, David Yao is another one who has been on the podcast. Thor has become one of these people who is being mentioned all the time. Uh, he has. If in addition to his music, he has played with just about fucking everybody. I'm scrolling through his all music page right now. Uh, Swans, to name one. She she shui shui. I always don't fuck up how that's pronounced. Bill Callahan, Shearwaters. Uh, the list is long. Devandra Bernhardt, um, Cross Record. Some of these people have been on the podcast even. But he's played with everybody, and he's toured all over. He's a fascinating dude, but uh, in addition to playing with everybody, his own music. Very great. Um, Thor and I talked for almost two hours. The part two lives on my Patreon exclusively. The link is in the show notes as well. You could go to themattdwire.com. You could hit the Patreon button or just go to the link in my show notes there. Five dollars a month, you get all exclusive stuff on the Patreon part twos. Ex- there's, I just put up a exclusive interview I did with, uh, with Greg Sinier of Deerhoof, who's been on. So there's a total of like three things you could listen to of Greg Sinier. Anyway, lots and lots of bonus stuff there. Um, and there's merch and whatnot. And if you need a website, you can go to themattdwire.com, become a Patreon subscriber, Wait a minute. I totally screwed that up. Uh, anyway, if you need a website, kellyrdewire.com. She is the person I made babies with. She did the bulk of the work in the baby making, but she also does the bulk of the work with making websites. So if you need a website, kellyrdewire.com. Also, Climate Emergency Fund is in my show notes. Please donate to the Climate Emergency Fund. They give money to activists, and I've been doing a lot of work with them. Still can't announce what that is, but it's coming up. Uh, I believe that is all. I, I had a really great time with Thor. We got into some really good, different stuff. I think you'll enjoy it. So let's. why don't we just get to it. Please enjoy my conversation with Thor Harris. I spent 35 years or so touring. I just didn't, you know, it was like a way to jar my brain out of depression. And I hate the Texas heat, which has, as you know, gotten worse. Yeah. But then when pandemic happened, well, of course, none of us could tour, right? So then I started doing this thing because I'm a carpenter and a plumber. And... Um, there aren't enough tradesmen in the world at all. Um, so I started doing this thing where I would fly 
or drive. You know, I, I did most of them driving to a friend's house, Los Angeles, uh, for instance, and remodel their bathroom or do some expensive plumbing that would have cost them, you know, maybe tens of thousands of dollars, but I do it cheaper than that just to see them and satisfy my need to, for travel to like reset my, my myself emotionally. Um, cause I, I think I just get in ruts where I hate myself and I hate my surroundings and just have to, um, break that up and for 35 years that was touring and then there was no touring and so i've been doing these carpentry plumbing electrical tours to my friends houses in upstate new york and los angeles and um colorado it's it's been a cool way to do things and i'm kind of like i like to sleep at night and not stay up till four in the morning loading gear in the streets and um it's better for that you know yeah boy i fucking wish i learned to trade that's like i have no like i you know i admire that is how did you did that just something you picked up along the way or was that like yeah yeah in my family well my dad died when i was 10 but he very much sort of set the course for all this. We just like learn how things work. My dad was a mechanical engineer and he has a few patents that I've tried to understand and just, he was hella smart. Um, but we had all the tools around and, and my brother is still very much this way. He's much smarter than me. He just, he just figure out how things work. And so, so we can fix them and maybe make a better one. Um, and that was exactly how my dad's brain worked too. And we just like a lot of sort of nervous energy uh, that's vented by building things, fixing things. Um, and, and so I, so I just, I, I learned it from a very young age when I was, you know, I was born in 65 and I grew up. So we were kind of, so, and I grew up down on, in coastal Texas and we were, um, I guess, middle class until my dad died. And then we were like three kids living on a single teacher's salary, which was great for development because I had this, I, I developed this, like, if, if I'm, who's going to build it or fix it? Me, you know, I'm, I'm the one like, if not me, then who? What, we're going to hire somebody? Not hardly. Um, so uh, that's, what you know, why I build weird instruments. and Because um, I couldn't afford uh, uh, weird instruments, so I tried to build them. You know, and I was trying to emulate instruments that I would see my rock star heroes playing. And... Um, and then, you know, a lot of them were just sort of accidents and like, I didn't start um, studying that from books until, I don't know, 20 or so years ago. Um, but I started doing it when I was like 12. Wow. And yeah, it was just part of our childhood development. I was terrible at school, but I could draw and sculpt and fix things i have while you were speaking i sort of made a connection because i've obviously i've researched you my father died also when i was very young when i was 12 yeah and you said the thing about depression and i know you suffer from depression here's a kick so do i (laughs) oh man but i'm wondering if like these traits the depression the uh, anxieties, the sort of the not being able to sit still. Do you connect that to your, do you think your father's death at such a young age was a sort of a yeah, yeah, catalyst I do. to all and these I, things? Yeah. And, I, and I've been, um, you know, reading about depression since, since the shrink told me that I had it and, and many, many, uh, people know a lot about psychology and psychiatry I mean, and it just makes sense that our brains are 
setting up their basic operating system. Most of that basic operating system is set up between zero and six years old, but our brain is still, I mean, as we are more and more learning, is still building itself um, um, while, you know, until we're in our mid-20s. So I think that your brain and my brain, because we... We're very young. Um, when your brain and my brain were developing, and then we had this like mountain of grief dropped on us. Like I didn't even know that people in my family could die, and then you what? Never get to see them again or talk to them? That was, you know, I just wasn't smart enough to know that that could happen to us. <laughs> and um, and so it fucked with how my brain developed. That's the theory anyway. I mean, yes, I, 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 I certainly had a propensity for depression due to genetics and many, many other things. The, 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 the uh, spoiling of the natural world, I think, plays heavily on, on, on all of our psyches and, uh, and, you know, our brains are these like super sensitive little machines and they, 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 you know, whether the conscious part of our brains knows it, we are aware that we are a cancer on this um, beautiful planet and um, that it's out of balance. It'll balance itself. I mean, since we're diving into that topic, but um, I, I think it'll be, It'll be uh, unpleasant for us, for you know, as it happens. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's already unpleasant for large portions of the Earth right now. Yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico just got monsooned again. They, I think they got 16 inches of rain last night. It's just seeming like, oh my God, just why, why even try? Just bring those people to Texas. They're so sexy and they have great food. <laughs> Just come to Texas, you know? Yeah. The world is ending, but Puerto Rico is not the place to be. Yeah, and it's just... I mean, Puerto Rico's getting more media than... But Pakistan equally is bad. And, and I know, and, and, and we should pay for Pakistan. Like, yes. Pakistan fucking ruined. And it's on us. You know, we should... We should pay for what whatever needs to be done. I mean, I saw the pictures of Pakistan just like two days ago, and the water is still just sitting there. It's it's not going away very fast. It's, um, it's I mean, there's so many aspects of it that I just find heartbreaking. I mean, there's the the tragedy, but then there's the lack of empathy from other humans, and I think a lot of that, unfortunately, could be brought back to racism especially from the u.s and i yeah i have it in my family that's what my my mom is fine with the what desantis and others are doing with shipping migrants and it's like wow uh, and my mother who was a, 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 a supposedly a christian but i think missed some of the key text <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's not what jesus meant mom yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a worrisome time, and it's how do you deal with because of depression and what and what have you? What do you do to stay present and to to try to keep your head straight with that? Um, well, that's a great question. I take well, first of all, I shouldn't even put this in this order, but let's get this out of the way. I take uh, Effexor, like huge doses of Effexor. I've been on an antidepressant since about 92. Um, so I do that, and I, but I still have to get like tons of exercise um, because those meds keep you from reuptaking the serotonin, but you have to make tons of it to begin with or you just don't have it. Um, um, I am a volunteer in my neighborhood association, which has a low income housing program, um, which we own 51 houses. And so my, I, I, 
as far as like horrible injustice in America, like living in a country that was founded on genocide and slavery, you know, I can't repair that. And, and, you know, people in power, like they're banning books about that. My fucking God. Um, but the, I can do direct work in my neighborhood to, because I'm a carpenter and a plumber and illegally, I can also do electrical work. Um, <laughs> illegally, but, that's as American as it gets. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, but, um, because I can work on these houses and, and, and I build friendships with my neighbors who are all different colors. I feel like right here in this tiny little microcosm, we've fucking moved past that shit, you know, watch the news and no, we haven't, not at all. Um, but, but my neighborhood is just this weird little magical microcosm. Um, well, we all know, each other and for the most part love each other and look after each other um and we're all different races and my my wife peggy she's from iran which is a very troubled country they're like executing queers right now and stuff but uh yeah so we global and even local injustice is a thing that she and I talk about all the time. And um, so anyway, the, we could dive into that, but what, what else do I do to stay somewhat sane? You know, it's, is odd. I know a lot of people isolate when they get really depressed. I don't. And I never, never have. I don't know how I could get through it without people. And, True, I'm not at my best when I have horrible depression, but people don't seem to mind. They seem to want to be there for me when I'm all busted, and they always have. Um, and I'm, I guess, lucky that way, that I'm not one of the people that just disappears when I am going through that shit. L- lately, it's been pretty okay-ish. The, the, the everlasting summer down here and the, um, all of the horrors going on in the world uh, don't do me any good. But the, when my brain chemistry is working okay, I can cope with it. You know, I, 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 I do realize uh, I, I was born in 65. Many of the fucked up decisions that put humanity in the mess that it's in were made before I was born and before you were born. Um, we've known about that. We were bringing about the apocalypse for about 40 years, but some oil executives had a lot more money to make before they could allow anything to be done about that. The next, um, wretched frontier is mining for heavy metals at the bottom of the Pacific ocean. And what could possibly go wrong there? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but you know what? I mean, I I think, uh, I think we've sort of always been aware that, that humanity would eventually do ourselves in, Um, and I think that it is likely that we can slow it down and, um, and, and be nice to each other and make some good art while, while we're here. I mean, it is, I I think that's all we can do is like fight the super rich and their political, uh, puppets and try to make it a little better for the people that are here now. And the animals that are here now, we live with a lot of animals. That's another big part of how I keep from sinking into despair. Because animals, you know, they, they're not plagued by all these um, conniving, shitty things that people... No, they are too, but they're just different. They don't talk. I don't, yeah, I, I, have, I had two dogs. I lost one recently, but it's just... The, oh, man. I'm sorry. That's one of the fucking hardest, like... I think I 
hurt more for my dog than I did some friends. Like, I don't know if that sounds shitty, but I mean, my dog is in my life every day. Yeah. And I spend a lot of time at home. 14 years with one person that cuddled up to me every night. Like, that's a hard yeah, that's a big deal. And there are like self-help group. I mean, there are help. There are like group therapies for it. It's a big deal. It, it tears people apart. And you were 12. I was 10 when we were first introduced to grief and loss. And you'd think I would be real good at it by now. But in a way, it's like, I mean, in one way, perhaps losing dogs and cats every few years does kind of help you to understand that's just like part of life. And it's kind of great. You know, who would want to live forever? Not definitely not me. Um, but, th- but then also because we were plunged into grief and loss so young, it's sort of like it, like suddenly when, when I lose, we have five dogs and seven cats and when, and I've always had a ton of animals. When, when we lose one, I sort of feel like, Oh God, here I am back in that lake of grief. That's just been getting, you know, deeper and deeper since I was 10 years old. <laughs> I feel but like, then, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But then, but then I, I, I don't know. I, I do. I do feel like I'm gaining some understanding of, the cycle of life and some acceptance of grief and loss. I don't feel like we, I feel like Western culture and American culture does not address it enough. Like there's other cultures where it's an intricate part of culture. And here, especially with, I forget who the monk was, but sort of equated heaven with spiritual materialism of like, this is don't deal with, don't worry about life. This it'll it all gets good then. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, and like, and that's like a. It's just a weird concept of like, I don't know. And then you don't really think about death because you're like, oh, I'm gonna live forever with uh, singing songs of, with Jesus. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not really making you invest in life or really think about death. It's not a healthy concept. I don't think it is either. And in the uh, yeah, that that whole concept of. Yeah, that whole thing about going to Disneyland after you die and living <laughs> and living eternally. Like I guess I don't I don't I'm tired, man. I do not want another life after this one. I want to just be a part of I want my molecules evenly distributed all over the world and all of my memories erased and that's it. Um, if, if, you know, my sister, she's going, she's planning on going to heaven when she dies and, and, um, but, um, I'm not, no, thank you. This is, uh, I, I feel like I never like heaven has always been a silly concept to me. And then the only thing I think that would is the comfort element, because now that I have kids and it dawned on me one day, I was like, I'm not always going to be able to protect my children. And that's heartbreaking. That's a hard thing to think of. So I think people go like, well, I can watch over him from up above. It's like this weird comfort thing, but it's like, come on, motherfucker. That's not reality. (laughs) That's not not real. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it makes you feel better, which is another Western thing of like, oh, I feel like shit. I'll just go buy a new car. That'll make it better. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, I mean, I guess that's why they called it the opiate of the masses, you know, all that, all that stuff just... I don't know. Saying she's in a better place. Well, she is in a better place because dead, you don't feel pain. But she's not in Disneyland with Gandhi and everybody. Do you, but what do I know? Exactly. But still, I feel like, I don't know. I I, I feel like there's something, but I don't, and I don't mean that like God, like I feel like maybe Buddhism had a kind of, not reincarnation is in, but like the energy and the universe. Yeah. I feel like there's yeah. something to that. I, 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 I think we're on the, probably on about the same page with that. I do. 
I do feel, you know, Buddhism is pretty atheistic. Yeah. They're, they're they, they don't have gods. And, um, and, and I think Buddhism was born out of Taoism, which is really great. They don't even have much written down. Um, the Tao Te Ching is like every bit of it makes perfect sense to me. Um, and all, all the Buddhist scripture that I've read makes sense to me. I think, and also, if, you know, we were talking about mental illness. My friend pointed out that psychology now is kind of just Buddhism 101. <laughs> Especially the- <laughs> it's like, like, accept stuff, be in the present, don't think about the future or the past. You, you don't know shit about those. And, um, and just enjoy what is here i feel like this impending doom that we live with too is like that's what i literally have to every day remind i just i sit and go okay this is how you approach the day listen love your daughters give them everything that you can don't think about the fucking bullshit because it doesn't matter you have to give them as much like uh, everybody i not easily easier said than done <laughs> yeah I'm goofy in the head <laughs> yeah, me, me, me too. Um, I mean, but that, yeah, the, the the thing about like, like assuming that I only choose people with some degree of mental illness as friends because they're way more interesting than whatever normal people are. Um, like, it's better if I choose the ones who don't punish everyone around them with their mental illness, you know, who are at least like gentle with people. And, um, yeah. Uh, boy, howdy so much to learn just to live in this world. Yeah. And we're around the same age. I was born in 68. So we're not, I feel like we're so like, I've heard you talk about death and like, and it is, it, it is weird. Like in my twenties, I was like, it was all ambition and it was all what I was going to do and yeah. where I was going to get. And now I didn't get there, but I'm pretty content with where I am. My life is yeah. interesting. And I could, there's a part of me that's like, Ooh, the tiredness is seeping in. Oh, when, yeah. that, when you get real tired, you're just going to want to fucking take that eternal nap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, don't don't wake me. Don't wake me for any angels singing or eternal bliss. I don't. No, thank you. But it's interesting how that changes. Like, there's still like some creative things and think ambitions I have, but it's so different. Mm-hmm. It's so different than like. There's nothing to prove. I guess I don't know. It's. I'm not being yeah, beaten you, up by it. Yeah, I mean the way the way you said that. Nothing to prove sort of reminds me of two shackles from my 20s that I do not miss. Having to prove that I was like a creative person with something to say, because no one knew or believed it. I mean, I lived in Austin, Texas. I was a musician. Sure, yeah, welcome to the club. We we are all creative and have something to say, you know. But... um, but the, I, I do feel like, like I've traveled the world a bunch and played on a bunch of great records with people that I really respect. And to borrow a line from a Jesus Lizard song, David Yao is my friend. Um, I feel, what, what is the line? He says, I fit right in with the people I admire most. And I thought, man, I feel like, like I'm, I'm really aware of that when... I, I, I'm aware of that all the time. Like I, ch- I, I've chosen wonderful people. Like that's probably my best skill. I've chosen wonderful people to call my friends, and some of them. Like I've been friends with Colin Riley since I was three, and he was five. So 1968, the year you were born, I made a friend and he's still very much my friend. We're in contact just about every day. He lives in Houston. He's married to this very sweet man who's a college professor and he's still, Colin still paints and um, we're both still creative and 
we were little art fag kids and um we're both still that um you know that's interesting that yao quote and just that the fitting in with the people you admire i think that's something i i would wind up in circles around certain people and i'd be like holy shit like how did i end up here but there's that if you're there there's a reason but yeah. it's a hard thing to learn of like accept it you're doing something you want to be doing something that led mm-hmm. you to where you're in this circle it's an odd but like it's hard to believe and i don't know if that goes back to mental health self-esteem where you're kind of like i don't know if i belong here it's like you do you're there <laughs> it's like something i didn't yeah. see until i was 50 fucking years old <laughs> yeah 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 that kind of that makes me do you know that like there's been a lot said about imposter syndrome um and and i think we we all have some degree of that i mean i I will admit I have less and less of it as I get older and I, um, you have a body of more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Learn more and more and, and get better at the, the, I get better, a better skill set. I mean, I'm still learning more and more about music, more and more about plumbing, more and more about carpentry. Um, being a lifelong learner, like I didn't ever, learn things very fast i don't think but i i have maintained curiosity throughout my life so that um makes me feel a little less like an imposter like i i have found and somebody else i guess i knew this but more or less somebody said it and woke me up to that curiosity is the only way you stay from being you have to be curious like i kind of i got lazy or complacent for a while and i caught myself thank god i caught myself but it was like so i was just like okay fucking buy a compilation of poetry start (laughs) like work that brain and like find new music and find you know because once people like that that especially like our generation i know a lot of friends who now are like there's no good music anymore it's like really 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 yeah (laughs) man when somebody when somebody says that it's almost like the conversation is over like (laughs) there's so much good new music there's tons of everything now and like the the death of the big five record labels how a fucking luya you know fuck them i when i started making music you had to wait for one of them to notice you if you were going to make a record a few records got made by the very few independent record labels or people just paid to have their records made themselves but yeah i mean never have i mourned the loss of the big record labels or even, you know, like the indie record labels were pretty cool, but, um, yeah, just the weird, the fact that there's no way to make money from recorded music. Now that Mr. Eck, the owner of Spotify, who is from Sweden, he doesn't even need to be rich. It won't have that much bearing on his life. If you're from Sweden, you get to have a good life anyway, but he's, he just, it's like he steals from the very poor and keeps it. It's not, I shouldn't have even started that sentence with it's like, because that is what he does. Um, it kind of, like what you're saying about labels and stuff too, I have thought about that of like, I was like in the 60s and 70s, even the 80s, where you're like, how much genius music just went to the wayside that could have changed everything? Because some mm-hmm. fucking label asshole was like, I don't smell money. I know. Or any and, art form for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, because there wasn't because there wasn't a way to monetize it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I think it was so, Oh, go ahead. So in a way, if you think about it now, we're a little better off because now we all have these little audio interfaces hooked up to our laptops. We have infinite multi-track recording studios in our houses. So like James Blake, for instance, made his first record on a laptop. 
when he was a kid, and it's fucking great. And he didn't have to wait for a record label to notice him. So, I don't know. We're screwed because we can't get paid for our recordings, but, I mean, we were all hopeful that Bandcamp would help us with that, and it has. Um, Are you concerned with how they got bought out? By whom I am concerned. I am concerned. I have a couple of friends that work for Bandcamp, and they said, oh, yeah, morale has been pretty bad since the buyout. And um, I don't know. I'm monitoring the situation. I, I always want to, like, I want to tweet to them every day and say, you fuckers know if you change much about this format, we'll just boycott you and you'll die overnight. <laughs> But I don't know how convincing that is coming from someone who, you know, sells as few records as I do. But um, I wish there would be, I don't know how this would be done, but like a, like a, what well, I can't think of the word. It's not commune, but like a, or, you know, like a group, sort of like Elephant Six was. What the fuck was that called? Like where it's like a group of people doing it themselves and like tell a collective collective thank you for being more yeah than me. <laughs> yeah i think um yeah i know i think i think like what would be so hard about starting a thing just like Bandcamp that was a co-op um and i don't think it would be hard but at this point there's already Bandcamp. And it, and it takes years to move everything over for everybody to start going, oh, the new thing is called blah, 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 blah. And then and then to eventually abandon Bandcamp. You know, I'm, I'm really just, I've, I've accepted that it's not my role to figure out how, how to fix this, but I am, I am, um, I'm a student of it. When my, my record label is called Joyful Noise, and I love them very much. When I make a new record, um, I just say, I don't know what we should do. Should we release it just digital? Should we make cassettes? Because it takes nine months to make vinyl. We, you know, and I don't want to wait nine months for this record to come out. I need it to be out in the world now. Just psychologically, that's what I need. So, so I just, I just defer to them and say, however you think we should put it out, that's how we'll put it out. You know, honestly, we, we, we started out this conversation talking about environmentalism uh, and, and if all musicians are environmentalists, which most of us are, um, let's not make any more vinyl and ship it all around the world. It's heavy. It's plastic. We, we, you know, we all know how to download music to our computers or stream it or whatever. Um, and, and we know that that is the future of music. We know that it's going to come to us on our computers. I appreciate that people love vinyl. I love it too. Um, but I, I don't know. It's not, I'm glad it's not really up to me to, to decide. And I don't even decide for my records. Um, if, if the record, if joyful noise says, let's not spend thousands of dollars to print, you know, several thousand copies. Cause I don't know when my bands Well, I tour with a couple of other bands now, a little, little bit with medicine singers, um, but I don't know when Thor and friends will tour again. So, um, goat, Sarah Gautier, um, lives in upstate New York now and peg the other third of Thor and friends. She's taking care of her mom who has dementia right now. So she can't travel. Um, and I could tour with a different lineup of Thor and friends. We have a new, uh, sort of Austin lineup that I think is wonderful. I don't, I just haven't thought about touring since the pandemic. It still seems like a pain in the ass. And when people tour, they don't get to see their friends in the different cities because they might 
get COVID and give it to the rest of the band. Um, so it seems like that's taken a lot of the fun out of touring um, as well as the, yeah. So I don't know, but I'll probably do it again. It was, it was fun. I did a little bit of it with medicine singers in Canada um, two weeks ago or something. It was, it was nice. We played a festival called FME. I don't even know what that stands for, but it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's in Canada. It's like eight hours North of Montreal. It's so beautiful up there. Um, it felt good to be a, at a music festival again and see bands. Yeah. Do you miss touring or are you just sort of... I can't tell. I think I do miss some things about it. But the idea of like getting in a van and driving across America... <laughs> like doing these hellish <laughs> van tours. It sort of seems like, wow. You've done a lot know. of it. Like, I've done a lot of it. And, and, and it's, um, yeah, I've done a lot of it. And I, I don't know how much of that I won't, I want to do a lot of the time when I was touring, touring, you're in cities and, and I did get to see a lot of cities and I like cities um, and buildings and people and stuff. I like all that stuff, but I sort of feel like I want the traveling that I do now to be about nature and, you know, witnessing how it's, you know, witnessing its beauty while I still can. Um, but yeah, touring touring was fun. I don't know. I, I really don't know if I'll, how how much, if any, I'll I'll do in the future. But it's fun. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, you had. Do you ever just like look at how many people you've played with and all that you've done and just gone, holy shit? <laughs> I mean, it's like crazy. Uh, I need to do that more. I need. I, I, you know, I do like occasionally put on a record that I played on some years back and go, wow, that's pretty good. You know, even, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty good. I make, I helped make this record better. I think, um, yeah. I, and, and I, I'm glad I have a wiki page because they, they're pretty good at keeping up with it. And I'm not, um, I kind of live in them. Like you said, you have a kind of shitty memory. I, I really, for whatever, I just have a, a, a natural disposition to kind of live in the present. I do have the ability to judge present situations using past experiences to make decisions and things, but I'm glad that there are a physical such as a Wikipedia page, <laughs> reminders, <laughs> reminders of where I've been. Cause I, I forget, you know, and, and, um, well, it's, it's also, it's, there's a lot of it. It's not like you were like, I worked at Sears for 10 years and then I moved over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I jumped around a lot. I, yeah. I did. I, 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 I did. I mean, it, yeah. The, the whole time I was touring with swans, I was trying to think of a way out of it. Um, but, but it was really fun. I mean, it was just, it was a lot of work and um, emotionally exhausting, but look, it, looking back on it, it was like sort of the, one of the big adventures of my life. Um, That's kind of crazy when you, when you're in something and you're kind of miserable and you're like, mm -hmm. ah, this isn't what I want it to be. But then you get to the other end and 10 years down the road, you're like, Boy, oh boy, that was magical. I miss all those people and love them, though you wanted to punch some in the face. <laughs> Man, exactly. It's, it's, it's as if you were there. Exactly. That is exactly how it was. I guarantee is. you would have wanted to punch me in the face. I'm, I, oh, <laughs> you, seem, you seem sweet as can be, but uh, yeah, I did, I, yeah we, were, we were all sick of each other after um, the 500 years we spent living on a bus together. But it was fun. And I still, you know, Christopher from Swans, he, he and I playing medicine singers together and we were in Shoo Shoo together for a year. Um, and um, 
So I get to see him pretty often. I make sure and see Norman who lives. Norman, Norman Westberg is one of those, you may know a couple of people that still live in Manhattan. Mostly it's just billionaires, but there are a few actual real people that still live in Manhattan. Norman is one of them. <laughs> I go into the city to see Norman, you know, several times a year. I wanted to, when you were talking about Texas and your microcosm, I wanted to ask you, because I feel like Texas is a complex place. I feel like the media definitely portrays Texas as this thing. What do people not understand about Texas that, you know, because I feel like it's presented in the media, like Texas did this and Texas did that and Texas did this. This happened in Texas. And I, this cannot be that cut and dry <laughs> nothing no is. no there's nothing there, there's nothing i mean um it's sort of like the thing that i say about about having traveled the world because i've been to russia i've been to the ukraine i've been to china to taiwan um and we can think of russia as the evil and China as the evil, and Taiwan and Ukraine as, like, we're rooting for them, right? Because they're up against evil. But when you meet the people in these evil places, they're just like everybody else. And it's just a political system. I mean, as George Carlin said, one-on-one, people are just great, you know? For the most part, we're really pretty all right, but get several of us together and you got trouble. Um, and, and in Texas, why Texas is still the way that it is, is because of the people, the white Anglo-Saxons who are richest down here. And many of them own oil companies and um, oil refining companies. I came from the most polluted part of america there's a place called sims bayou it's a super fun site i grew up just like 10 miles um east of that i grew up right on the on the coast on galveston bay and it's beautiful there the coast is beautiful um but just inland is like this hellish petrochemical um uh just hive of of money and pollution and 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 those guys those guys have been in charge of texas for a long 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 time and um they gerrymander our politics and um i i would say like every every stereotype that people outside of texas know about they are real those people, yes, they are here, um, but and some and, and some of us have those people, those ignorant, gun-toting, Trump-supporting people in our families. But um, always, if there's like, if the IQ gets very much above a hundred, you're gonna have somebody that just looks around and says, wait, this is all fucked up and wrong and unjust. And, and, um, and so, you know, places like Austin, Texas, Lawrence, Kansas, like the liberal, uh, uh, cities in these, uh, very conservative States become like these bastions where they're fighting, you know, they're surrounded by hostiles and fighting against this, um, this, this, uh, conservative clinging to the status quo that, um, you know, that sort of spirit in those cities, I really love that. So, uh, when you travel to these places like Texas, like Russia, like China, where the political system is doing all this evil stuff. And, um, and I've been to the middle East too. Um, but when you travel to those places and you meet people, you know, you do, you do realize that there's nothing um, monolithic about um, any society anywhere. And people are kind of just people and, and, and 
the people who cling to power are the shittiest people in the world. And, <laughs> and that's true all over the world, apparently. Yeah, it's, um, I'm like, how did these handful of jagoffs, let's say, because yeah. I'm like, everybody just wants the same thing. I don't fuck. I don't want wealth. I don't want, I want health care. I yeah. want a roof and I want some grub. That's it. Man, I, man, I would say, yeah, I would say even down here in Texas, that's pretty much what we all want. And, and, and a majority of Texans want women who need abortions to be able to get them. I heard this statistic the other day and I do not believe it that 52% of Texans approve of what Greg Abbott is doing, sending migrants on buses to more liberal cities. I, I cannot believe that. I think you guys are doing surveys wrong or something. I don't, I, I feel like, and I, I feel like there's a, a lack of media proper approach by the media because this is like civil right this shit they did in the 60s they bust i forget alabama shipped black people families to fucking massachusetts pretty much the same scenario and i know i just learned about that i did as well and i was like why there's like this weird dance it's like call it what it fucking is like they wouldn't call trump a liar for the like mistruths and it's like call it what it fucking is you're not doing your job same with abortion like they you like they didn't they didn't address that properly pro before this you know they always you know they never made it as dire of a and it's like we all knew this was fucking coming <laughs> like i knew this was going to happen what was the fucking problem here yeah yeah once the supreme court was rigged enough this is what was going to happen and this is like it's not going to stop there either that's my i know that for like this is this is the fucking start and they started yeah I did. Yeah, I think you're right. If um, this is them I'm, easing into something, <laughs> that's they're not easing into it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that sort of like disgusting, unholy pact between the evangelicals and the super greedy and super rich. It's has, a, has finally begun to bear fruit, and boy, is it hideous. Yeah, my mom is in that field, and, and I have a brother who's like a like the stereotypical Trumper, and it's just like, it's painful. It's hard. My mother, this is a hard thing to say, but my mother, and I know you love your mother very much, and she was an inspiring woman, and I, boy, oh boy, are you lucky. Because I, it's hard because you love your mother. But my mother believes and represents everything I despise. She's a racist. She's and like her generation had cheap housing. They have social security. They have pensions. And she votes against my generation and other generations to not have these things. And it's hard to not go, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah. It's a hard thing to deal with. Yeah. My heart goes out to y'all have Trumpers in your family. I don't, that, that's so and I hard. Have, and I, I have a racially diverse family. I have Japanese people in my family, Mexican, gay. Like, it's not like we're all fucking honkies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. We have, I have, a, I have a black dude in the FBI in my family. Um, Middle Eastern people, Latin people. It's awesome. It's what I wanted. Yeah. You know? It's great. But, I don't want my kid to grow up around a bunch of white. Like, that's the problem is like people talk about the bubble. And I'm like, am I in the bubble in my liberal bubble when I'm living around trans and people of different religions? Is that really a bubble? Because I don't think it's <laughs> I'm confused on this one. Yeah, maybe you're not. Because my, my daughter is totally aware of at six about being non-binary and she knows all of it that's so cool my mom doesn't (laughs) my 85 year old mom fucking clueless yeah these 
Yeah, I went to a party, a birthday party this weekend, and there was like a seven-year-old. It was my friend Dan and Katie's birthday party, and their seven-year-old is non-binary and changed her name. And I was like, no, dude, I don't know. Okay. I don't know that I completely understand it, but the thing is, whatever they want, whatever they need, just fucking give it to them, you know? It's, it's a different world. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I think the thing that my mom had that I admired so much is like the ability to accept people and, and just sort of meet them where they were. And um, she was a school teacher. So I think she just learned so much about people and their differences. And she's, she had so much empathy. Um, yeah. Man. I, yeah. That, 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 that would be so hard to have to have Trump supporters. And boy, has that our political system has just like reached deep into our families and just torn the threads apart and um, torn apart communities and friendships. Where does it end? I don't know. It all seems by design on some level. It's like if we're pitted against each other and it's perhaps it's cliche or obvious, but like can't be angry at the corporations and the lack of good labor or or wages. I mean, if, if we're all fucking punching each other, (laughs) it's like, yeah, we keep falling for the oldest trick in the book. Oh, there's no jobs. Oh, it must be the Mexicans. Yeah, that's it. You fell for that one again. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. Yeah, keep the poor fighting amongst themselves. Yeah. If they realize what we've done to them, they're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Like if if everyone focused all the right, and it's like everyone has a right to be angry right now. There's a lot to be angry about, but yeah. all angry at the wrong people. Yeah, it turns out, y'all. It actually is the super rich <laughs> that have fucked us beyond belief. I was curious because you mentioned Yao and he's a friend of yours. Probably one of the most mentioned people on my podcast. There's like a handful of people that are mentioned all the time and he's in the top. It's him. Oh, him, Wayne so Kramer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that he listens to this when it comes out then. Uh, he's been on. He's done the podcast, and oh, he has. And Great. We've become friendly-ish as much as, but he, I've made him pizza. He came to one of my daughter's birthday parties. Oh man, he's just a gem of he's a human being. A brilliant, like when Y came up in theater in Chicago, we would point in the '90s. We would point to Yao as like that's how you commit on stage. That's the level of how you much you throw yourself into it. Like he was yeah. that sort of, but I was curious cause then you, were you in, you must've been in that early, like the scratch acid era of the music scene and the dicks and all of that. Yeah. in Austin, I was a little bit young and, um, I wish I'd, I wish I'd hit the ground running in Austin, but my first year here was 1985. And yes, that's, that was what was happening. Um, for that first year, I was still just a nerd practicing all the time. And I was, I was still going to university, university of Texas, a complete waste of money and time. Um, I was, I was in art school, but I was also studying music. Um, so I didn't go to nearly enough shows that year. Um, I started going to shows around 86, I guess. I might've gone to a couple of shows in 85. Um, but yeah, there was a great, albeit smaller music scene here back then, the butthole surfers. Of course I saw them at Liberty lunch and that was a magical experience. Um, and saw scratch acid and uh <clears throat> yeah this this town m- much like 
Chicago has been churning out great bands for decades and decades. I'm I'm fascinated and always I've had a lot of Austin people on the show and I'm just like it's a fascinating scene. I don't know if it's like is it as fascinating from afar, especially that era where because we romanticize eras of music and I'm like, was it that did people know that they were doing something special in Seattle, Chicago, Austin, or was no. it just working class, let's do it? It was just working class, let's do it. And back then in the eighties and well, somewhat even into the nineties, although in the nineties saw the explosion of the independent label. So there was less of this, but back in the eighties, we were playing these South by Southwest showcases, hoping that people from Los Angeles and New York would see our amazing band and sign them to a label. Uh, you know, there was still a good bit of a good bit of, we're just these weirdos living down here in the middle of Texas of all places. Um, you know, making, making music out of things that we hear from all over the world. Cause you could get music from all over the world back then. Um, like the buttholes, they're actually from San Antonio and there was really no weirdo punk rock scene in the early eighties when they started, but they were kind of just making it up. They were making it out of their own, twisted imaginations and out of rock, you know, punk rock music and rock music and country music. And that's what they came up with because they were such awesome freaks. Um, and, and it was that sort of spirit, uh, like the big boys from Austin, Texas, they were the first, as far as I know, the first punk band with a very gay singer, and in a horn section, a good horn section. Um, and that, you know, that just sort of organically happened. The guy named Tim Kerr was part of that. He's still a brilliant, um, artist musician around town. He's been in so many cool bands, too many to even count. He would be a great guest on your show. Um, but yeah, we, 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 I mean, maybe we knew it was special. Um, we, we, you know, we, we sort of longed for, we felt like we were just a small town down in the middle of Texas, landlocked. Um, and we were just sort of doing what we could to make it interesting. And yes, it, it, the, the, a lot of a lot of good music came from it, um, but what we did have and what we still have in Austin, and there's a lot of you know we could do a whole podcast kvetching about how Austin has changed, how New York has changed, how you know whatever has changed. But um, the thing that we still have here, very much so is a culture that goes to shows every single night of the week. People are at shows like weird shows and normal shows and shows that I would not imagine sitting through, but people go to <laughs> people go to concerts every night of the week here in droves. Whereas if you, you know, if you're like a weirdo living in, and I won't even name the cities, but okay, let's name one. Let's say Denver. <laughs> uh, you know, people just don't go to the shows that much there. There's a li there was a little bit of a of a scene, or maybe there still kind of is, um, but it's just hard to get cult uh, your culture motivated to go to shows if they just don't do that, you know? And I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, just been part of Austin for a hundred years or something. And we, you know, we here worry about, will it continue with all these fancy people here driving the cost of living up so much? I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like Chicago. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of land all around it. Maybe, Maybe all the artists will live in little 
poverty enclaves around the edges of Austin. I hope not. Cause I, in the nineties bought a house right in the middle of it. And yeah, I don't know. Just sort of riding, riding out the changes here. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Remember, there is a part two, and it's about an hour, of this conversation that lives on my Patreon page. You can go to themattdwyer.com, become a Patreon subscriber for $5. If you don't have $5, please, but, you know, just tell your friends. If you enjoy the podcast, share it. That means more to me than the money. If you just tell your friends, hey, I love this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great day. (laughs) 